1: How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Lars Tiffany, head coach at the University of Virginia, to the Philocroscopy podcast. What's up, LT? How you doing, man? Happy New Year!
0: Yeah, Happy New Year! It's wonderful to be here in two zero two three, and uh, you guys are showing up in a couple of days. Uh, we'll start training, little we'll helmet, six gloves, first few days, yep. um, and then we're going to get it after it one hundred percent. Can't wait! That's so cool. Seventh year, right? Yeah. How about that, man? It's, you start feeling like, am I really an insider? I after seven years, you should be a Charlottesville insider. You know, uh, J.P. Williamson and Sean Stoffert rolled out the red carpet. I've uh, been ingratiated as a community. And yeah, I feel like uh, I, I'm, we're residents. We live here, we're, we're Virginians.
1: All right, let's kick this off with a question I usually ask you is, you mentioned that you like to have eight great books for your players, one a semester. First of all, what a cool concept. I knew you were doing, I knew you did team books, but I didn't know you did eight books. Do you try to pick the books to all fit together or are they all just sort of separate and important?
0: They're they're really more separate. Uh, The fun part of the experience for me, Jamie, is I'm almost like an editor. I get to review. A lot of people come to me with books. Hey, I got a great idea. Uh, I got a great John Gordon book or uh, Shackelford's endurance, you know, and, and I get to review and read them. And I read some great books. But then I've got to sort of does this fit with 18 to 22 year olds and can there be multiple messages throughout the semester? You know, we'll use a book and we'll sit down and talk about it in our cultural meetings um, weekly in the spring and uh, every other week in the fall. And so I've got to like, okay, can this book handle, you know, let's say up to 10 conversations and stimulate us. Uh, the book we're doing right now f- a- absolutely does this because we're on its second uh, cycle with it is uh, Legacy by James Kerr and, and so it's it's been really fun. Now we have eight books now, the concept being eight semesters, Hopefully, you're here for eight semesters, you've done it in four years, you move on. but I'm open. I'm open to new suggestions because we could replace one or two and uh but yeah, it's been uh it's been something that wasn't a part of the game plan when we arrived here in Charlottesville. We didn't do this in, in Providence Rhode Island at Brown. Um, but it was born out of necessity as we were uh, transforming the culture. What's legacy all about,
1: and how are you? Legacy is,
0: yeah, the legacies. Legacy is it's it's a fantastic book, and not just for the coach, but for the uh, business owner, uh, any type of organizational leadership that's trying to send a message, maybe make a shift in culture or mindset. It's about the All Blacks of New Zealand, the uh, the rugby team, and uh, there's been a deep dive into how that organization. Historically, traditionally, fantastic, and proud. And some of the things they've had to do is when they've had, as every organization does, you know, you have your dip, and uh, and it comes about in 2004 when they had to make a transformation, and uh, and what they did to making creating smaller units, larger leadership group units, giving more control to the players, self empowerment, uh, building better people to make better All Blacks. Uh, but it's a ton of great messaging in there, and I highly, uh, I highly recommend it. There's 15 chapters; they're one-word-titled chapters. You know, it could be character, it could be learn, it could be pressure. And if there's something going on with your team or organization, maybe just go to that chapter of the book. Uh, um, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, that's the one that we're really going to hammer home, starting in a couple of days, and we'll do it weekly throughout the semester.
1: How do you, besides discussions, how do you sort of empower your Team with these concepts that you've learned from all of these books.
0: Yeah, you know the biggest thing I think as I think about the last few years, Jamie, um, and it started a little bit of Brown was being more collaborative. I've stopped being the coach who's got all the answers, and I've almost been, become more Socratic. And we try to take this from not only on the Tuesday mornings where we're watching film as a defense in one room and the offense is in the other room with Coach Kerwin for an hour on Tuesday mornings, but then also certainly in our Thursday afternoon cultural meetings and then to the game field. So when there's a timeout, I feel like I'm a better coach if I'm doing less telling and dictating and more asking. Hey, how do we feel about this matchup we still go to the poll there or should we change the poll what about the invert do we should we be getting into a different defense or are we good with our base you know what are we hearing any calls what how should we deal with the picks should we be smashing the picks Should we should we should we sag off and the more i ask i think we all i gain more information and they share more information and then have to see you know the sense of ownership that comes from that too so Going into those Tuesday morning meetings, making it collaborative, like, okay, who are we going to pull? What is the game plan? Are we going to play some zone? And letting them have a say. That collaboration, Jamie, comes from a lot from these books, what we've learned from these books, the sense of the self-empowerment. And we're just better. And honestly, I like it more. I don't feel like I have to have every answer starting Tuesday morning, you know, and and dictate to everyone exactly what just happened on the field last play. Hey, what'd you guys see out there? you know, and, and we're, we're, we're a whole lot better this way. How do the guys like that? Oh, they love it right now. Some of the, the quieter intrinsic person um, or the, the, I should say the introvert it's it's a little tougher to pull it out of them, but hopefully after their first year and second year, they get more adjusted and, and understanding their voice is valuable and we need their voice or you can't be a part of this defense. Um, and so, or offense. And so it's, it's it's really been helpful um our best years is when we're the most vocal you know that you get yeah, that right and uh but even in tuesday mornings like we've had some years where tuesday mornings weren't that weren't that loud you know weren't that involved or engaged And I'm like, fellas i can't sit up here and tell you everything that we're going to do
1: you know that'd just be one man's opinion um i need everyone's thoughts here yeah and even if you could tell them all what to do you can't do it with them when they're out there and so, exactly. you know, the, the, the teams that communicate the best on both sides of the ball are always going to be the best teams. And right. I guess by being hands off and not doing it for them, both in the film room and on the field, you are fostering that. Exactly. And so, man, that timeout happens. They come in. I'm
0: like, all right. Man. And I'm just asking. And again, because they have that ownership and they've been speaking their own language throughout the week they've got much more value to offer in in their voices. Um, Now, the second thing is bring in the grease board (laughs) because most of us athletes are visual learners. Most men are visual learners. We're very visually orientated. So coaches, stop talking too much. If there's X's and O's, if the pictures say a thousand words, get that grease board out.
1: Have the guys grab the grease board and draw it up and practice that in practice. Very interesting. All right, switching gears. Let's talk a little bit about the University of Maryland offense last year. Um, they seemed to be, well, for two straight years, they were pretty awesome, but that they, they graduated a Touraton uh, winner, and then their offense actually seemed to get better, and they were incredible in every phase of the game. Um, they were incredible in transition. They were incredible in early offense, sub-game. They were phenomenal. They were better in the middle. They were great in the transition, but they were even better in the middle of the shot clock and they were still good at the end of the shot clock. They were great on man up. They got great zone offense. How do you characterize that? And and then I, I just want to hear some thoughts on um, how you, you know, what you thought was great about it and and what you tried to do to try to disrupt it. Sure. I thought
0: what was fantastic about Bobby Benson's offense last year. And part of me wishes it, I could hope that it just goes with Bobby Benson to Providence, Rhode Island but and Providence College. Um, but, you know, I'm not that naive. Um, is that they created an offense and they played an executed offense that always got into the gray areas and always were pushing and pulling. So what I'm trying to say is the defenses, it's like you want to be, when you're man-to-man, you want to have some zone-like principles on the backside. When you're playing zone, you want to have some man-to-man principles. So let's get to our man-to-man defense. We're playing man-to-man defense against Maryland. We're playing man-to-man defense against everyone in the sense that how do you what does the off-ball player look like? What is the off-ball player doing? Is the off-ball player who's adjacent showing a little bit, stealing some real estate in a sense, the phrase? Is the off-ball player in the crease starting to slide, hedging a little bit? Well, that's where as a defense, you can steal a little bit of yard or two. You can help the on-ball defender who may be slightly getting beat, but you show a little bit and you get back. You scrape back. Maryland's offense last year took advantage of all these little things you do as a defense to help the on-ball defender. And what I mean by that is, so if I'm guarding you, Jamie, off ball, and I'm hedging a little bit to the on-ball, if you just stand where you are, I can do both i can guard you and hedge. but you didn't just stand there and now you could clear through which is what a lot of good lacrosse does clearing the space when i show or start to slide but instead you pushed away from the dodger what some people call drift or fade yeah and now if i hedge towards the dodge i'm like "Uh oh you're further away from me you kind of I, I what am i do what do i do here i can't really help i can't really help adjacent Maryland did what we call a drift so well. And then we're able to make that pass to the drift man, which is that takes practice, yep. you know, because that's not a normal line drill coming right because you're,
1: you're throwing the ball. It's kind of like a quarterback throwing it to a, a running back in the flat, trying to put it ahead of them a little bit so they can turn the corner and basically initiate their, their dodge before they catch the ball.
0: Really good analogy. Not an easy pass to throw and then add in a long stick. Maybe me, if I was the hedge defender, who's got a shaft in the lane potentially but Maryland, like good players know know that what are the odds of me picking that pass off if you throw it right over my head or my six foot stick within a, a foot or two of my helmet
1: you know yeah. I, throw it right by their right, want, right by their ear yeah.
0: I want that pass out in the skip lane I don't want that pass thrown over my body I'm like whoa I, I, I have to get really lucky to get a piece of that thing so they they're constant adjacent motion and an ability to make that pass and keep moving and keep, that's what really, really put, that was what I found was the most unique and different to the point to answer the second part of your question, Jamie, it made us as a defense go, wow, do I have to go back to being black and white? Like man to man is man to man guard your guy. almost felt like back in our day playing for Dom, we, you know, Dom was beautiful as a coach. He kept it simple and win your matchup. And guard your guy, follow through with them, and, and so he almost got to like. I, I don't know if you can adjacent defenders can show and help and steal real estate. A crease guy, I don't know if you can take a couple steps because they'll find a the guy inside open, and um, and so they put real ch- significant challenge on your on ball defense. You got to win these matchups, and of course, you know not only do they already have some really talented Dodgers and maybe the fastest Dodger and quickest Dodger and Kyle Long, but then they bring in Khan. And uh, King and Khan, he he was willing to put a shoulder into you, an inside role. If you're not sliding, oh boy. Um, so uh, yeah, that was that was the biggest thing that I felt like, wow, we're gonna go black or white. We're gonna either play man to man with no zone type principles, or we're gonna play zone and just hold on for dear life. And uh, um, and that's not what most of us defensive coaches are teaching these days.
1: Yale has been really good at the drifts for the last number of years too, f- throughout their his mm-hmm. last you know, the, the championship and beyond. You you must have in fact I know that they, they scored a goal on you guys on a drift in the uh in that 2019 um was that the championship. Um yeah, right. really good at that moral was amazing
0: at it. Remember that? Yep, I do. And uh and again it's as coaches who are listening to this, if you practice those type of cuts, that type of motion and that feeding, it's 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 harder than, you know, at first glance. And and as soon as you start doing it, and maybe you already understand it, it needs a lot of practice. Yeah um and uh and it's something I you know Coach Kerwin does a nice job of the year. Yeah. Um when we're in our two 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 set, you know, we tend to go big little behind the goal with that two two two. two. We want those two posts, those two tough guys. Um we Great. want them pushing and pulling and drifting and, and uh, to, to, as, a, as they read their defender, is my defender trying to steal real estate? Is he hedging? I could cut through traditional cut or I could drift. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that seems to be the sort of the, uh, the flavor of the month, in a sense with the offenses of like, as a defense, now we're talking more about that in the off season. Okay. we got to defend against drifts now, fellas, and more and more teams are going to start doing this.
1: Well, the really interesting thing is, is you can kind of look at it in a couple of different ways. I mean, drifts and fades have been around for a long time, but but, but what Maryland, and I think Yale have done that's a little different than most is they're turning their, their drift into the action that actually creates the offense rather than being on the receiving end of offense that was already created. Do you know what I mean by that? I do
0: because of our defense saying, hey, steal some real estate, show there. That drift is actually
1: creating the offense the drift and creating the next dodge guy and then guy. have to slide to it's not necessarily like i feel like it, you know in your guys when you've run your your 222 two, two, a lot of times your drift turns into you know it turned into conrad shooting it or something you know but right, but you know maybe a, a face dodge or something but but with these guys at x they're just like turning it into a come around that you have to slide to or they're scoring on B- basically like i said before it's like turns an off ball cut into a dodge it's like initiating your dodge without the ball before the guy's in position
0: exactly and it's it's creating offense without necessarily winning the initial dodge that's what's kind of like yeah Yeah. dang they're not even beating us clean and yet on one pass the guy's got his hands free and he's dodging and there's a redodge, and like oh what do we do with that yeah really really effective
1: with that it is um all right you mentioned in, in our little pre-conversation about uh the power of getting a chunk. Yeah. Um uh, talk to talk to us a little bit about this. We we did talk about this a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, on on uh you know being able to move laterally and get bumps on guys, but it seems like you're taking it to another level of thought and action. Uh if you wouldn't mind talking about that, I'd love to hear about it. Sure, and, and so this, this comes from my
0: own personal evolution as a defensive coach. Um, I, I, I've always been a big proponent, and I still do, but to a lesser extent. I'm a big fan of, I'm on, that, I'm on ball, typically with six, talking about a six-foot stick, and on that whistle, with that Dodger coming at me, get that poke check in there. Poke, get to that bottom glove, maybe the belly button, and uh, and then drop step and, and move with them. Well, that doesn't necessarily work for every offensive type of Dodger. And um, that, what I'm talking about, works maybe for the feeder. If I was guarding Darren Lowe in practice uh, or playing against McAlevey at UMass uh, during my time, you know that was good for those type guys. Keep that guy in front of me, stay disruptive, confrontational on the bottom hand. But what about uh, more and more Dodgers that you see nowadays because of the stick not coming out and you can just sort of smash your way in, dip that shoulder, you know more of the power dodger. We got to get we got to get the two hands and get that chunk as we call it um, onto uh, onto the dodger. And so we're spending more time. How much can we get our hands on people? And and speaking of Maryland, boy, they did a fantastic, fantastic job against us last year. Um, both times, especially I felt like in Columbus in the quarterfinal game, uh, where Matt Moore, Connor Schellenberger, our middies just really struggled to. Get an advantage on their, uh, with their Dodge, um, and, and winning a matchup. And I thought Maryland's, especially their D middies, you know, but yeah. they close to, did a fantastic job too, Ajax and McCar, Um, and so, like, all right, folks, we got, we got to be better. We got to be stickier. And so we're practicing more, getting that chunk, even with a six foot stick, which natural for short stick meetings to do, but more so, even emphasizing with the six foot sticks. And we're going to start doing something in practice. Um, uh, so in the 66% of um the defense. We're gonna we're gonna change some one of our dr- 66 days sometimes and say, okay, this is sort of like uh, Viking training. Like Vikings are training, but they can't slash each other, they kill each other, and just in training with their swords. So let's stop slashing each other in practice. If Jamie's dodging me and I'm able to get a chunk on Jamie for the drill for the 66. He can no longer keep dodging the score. He can just, he just moves the ball along. And, um, and so the emphasis now, and when we're doing 66 Viking, is he's got to, you got to make a move that's shiftier. Can you really truly beat me as opposed to relying on smashing in and stepping away and hoping someone slides? Um, and, um, and then defensively, if we slide, if we slide and see your neck, you know, and, and the second guy comes to you and slides to you and it touches, you, boom, automatic turnover, balls down. Uh, even if we don't even check it out of your stick, if we get a second body to you, done. Um, and then along with that, the concept is uh, the uh, the flip side. Of defensively, if I come in and I do whack you in the arm, that's a penalty. That's a slash. We're, so we're trying to emphasize really about chunking and that uh, that footwork um, and getting a, and, and and trying to deny
1: that dodgers that 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 path he's trying to go on. A lot of people like to put their sticks out because it creates ball pressure mm-hmm. but chunking creates i think actually even better ball pressure not to say that they're mutually exclusive or they should be but when you're trying to run by somebody and there's a stick there you can kind of like keep looking but when you're getting jacked and getting pushed off track all of a sudden <clears throat> it, it it throws you off in a way that i think makes it gets you very off balance to be able to feed or shoot when somebody is chunking you. Um, Have you found that? Like, you know, the best guys can kind of neutralize a playmaker if they can chunk them? Yes, absolutely. Now, the question is, what's the angle? Um, We're going to
0: practice playing it more straight up. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I both know good defense. Yeah, good defense. It's good team defense. Yeah, maybe force this guy down the alley. He may get less chunk, but at least he's going down the alley. But for the practice here, we, we want to see, how, can we get that? You know, essentially what we we talk to our defenders about this. Are you a zero degree guy? Can you play someone straight up? Or do you have to start taking an angle? You know, the lower the angle, the better you are on ball. When we had Matt Jama here, uh, short-seek he Mitty, he was someone who didn't have much of an angle. He, we challenged him to play the on ball, play the Dodger straight up. You know, if all of a sudden you're not feeling so good about the matchup, you know, maybe you're playing at 20 degrees or 30 degrees. If you're you're an offensive midi or a faceoff guy stuck on defense, you might be at 45 degrees. Okay. You don't even care if you chunk. You're just going to force him down the alley. But we are, yeah, this is this is about let's be confrontational and disruptive on ball. This is an, is this practicing. How much can we get away with straight up or just a small angle?
1: It's such an interesting um, topic. And it's the timing is interesting too, because I have been really thinking a lot about dodging poles and dodge it you know what taking advantage of what polls generally do which is put their stick out and we all know this i, I this is how i was taught to dodge a poll you know 30 plus years ago coming up on 40 which is run right at them yes. run right at a poll i put together a little dodging video um of people that do that you know like mark millen I mean, he would dodge at a pole. That guy ran right at you. Uh, or you sort of look at uh, Mikey Powell, the way he would run a poles or, uh, you know, and or Matt Moore runs right at poles. I got some really cool clips of him. Um, Brendan Mundorf would run right at you. and And the thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on that is interesting is that I want everyone to think about, OK, you're a defenseman. You're going to put your stick out. You're going to back off. And you're going to make contact with that stick, the head of that stick somehow. It could be a one-hand poke, be a two-hand poke. Maybe you're retreating. Maybe you're not even. I'll give you either or. But if your stick is out and a guy's running right at you full speed and you don't strip him with that check, you're not getting your hands on him. That's right. the issue. You're not going to get your hands on him if he's running right at you. And So, therefore, if an offensive player can learn how to run right at that pole – and just simply protect their stick on that impact and be able to split, you know, you can, there's different ways of doing it. You can kind of angle as a lefty. I can angle to my right and stick my right foot in the ground and get my left. I can angle to my right and split, or, you know, kind of like grant amen. I can be a righty. I can be running towards my right and I can kind of under split underneath you, or I can just go kind of right to right. But the idea being If I run full speed right at your poke and you it glances off me, we're now going to be in a straight up foot race and you're not going to get a piece of me on the way to the goal. You're going to have to scramble. And the issue then becomes you're you are going to have a much harder time of playing the great defense on the Island when you're in an absolute sprint and in, in, in getting off balance. Whereas if I make that break earlier and I do a bunch of rollbacks and stuff like that, even the quickest of guys, if I can just survive all that stuff and get to the Island, I'll be shuffling my feet and I'm going to be able to be in decent balance and position to be able to guard a shot on the Island. But when you get somebody running that fast, all of a sudden, let's just say I, especially coming at 45 degree angles and like wings, it's just so hard. The defender doesn't really know where he is. So you end up rolling back up the hashes. You end up being able to get inside rolls. Anytime a defenseman is trying to V-hold you and they're running, they're going to get rolled up, rolled back on. And that's true for it for reverse V-holds. It's very hard to body somebody while you're while your legs are actually like running, you know, shuffling or on the verge of shuffling, very under control. Thoughts on that? Um on that. Yeah.
0: It's all you exactly. All that is, 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 uh, is well thought out and, and, and correct. Essentially, you know, as I've, I've learned from you and as I evolve, I'm trying to work my defense in, to integrate different styles. Yeah. If you're guarding the Mundors and, uh, you know, the, the Matt Moore's they're going at you poking them. That's not doing anything. No. Um, and so you got to understand this guy is an alpha male. He is going to pound his way, you know, maybe some quickness, you know, but he's going to lower shoulder. He's going to get to the five and five hits his objective. And so, bam, you're right. You got to be more in that shuffle mindset, you know, and getting your chunks on and making making yourself wider as opposed to skinnier, you know, uh, but longer. And, um, and so it's, yeah, it's just, it's knowing, and, and, and that's where the trouble comes in. When you get the elite, elite attackmen, you know, when, when the grant amen, or, you know, as we feel about Connor Schellenberger, when they've got the ability to do both, you're like, if you stay, if I'm, if I stay here against, you know, Connor Schellenberger or grant amen, they're feeding. It's like, oh, damn, I, I wasn't disruptive on this bottom hand. Oh, they're a Dodger. Okay. Now, which, which way am I doing this? And, and, uh, and that's the challenge when you get to those elite, but so, take away the those a couple of elite guys up there. You know, you're right. Understand what your a dodger's trying to do. Your your attackman's trying to do. Is he more of a power dodger or is he going to be sort of that high IQ, crafty, slick feeder? Um, but uh, but yeah, I know you're you're yeah, you've well, very well thought out, Jamie.
1: Thank you. All right. Um, next topic. I always talk about deception on offense. Um, you know, whether it's Individual or team, and like literally everything. I I I have a theory that if you watch any college game or pro game where there's high-level defensive players, usually there was the goal was scored most of the time because of something that was done deceptively. The advantage was created through deception, one way or the other. When someone like makes a mistake or something's wide open, why? Well, it was because uh, whatever, some kind of a hitch, some kind of a fake something off ball um the smartest players are going to set you up with everything they're going to look off everything it's non verbal communication sometimes verbal but usually non verbal communication with your opponent and that's what this whole fluency thing is really all about you got to look off everything you do if i as an offensive player am predictable or project what i'm doing you're going to defend it a lot better than if you don't know what i'm doing Right. So Absolutely. I want to I want to flip it on its head and say, what are your thoughts about all, about defensive deception, utilizing deception defensively? Obviously, there's fake slides and stuff like that. But I want I want to get your thoughts on how defensive players can be better by being less predictable. In any scenario, it could be a two-man game. It could be on ball, like we just talked about. It could be obviously we're going to get into some invert defense. It could be changing things up, but by being less predictable, and then actually maybe by making them think you're doing one thing when you're doing something else.
0: I know, and it's just, your question is great because I, it's sort of this philosophical crux of you know watching some elite defenses. You know Notre Dame year in, year out, and Maryland especially recently. They're pretty simple. They're doing one thing and they don't have a bunch of different calls and variety Um, versus, you know, what you're insinuating, which is kind of what I intuitively like to think that let's, let's keep the opposing offense coordinator on our toes that we might go into an invert zone defense when you invert us sometimes. Um, And I'm a big fan of certainly pick play. You know, some teams, they play picks one way and one way only, and they're really good at that way, but it makes them predictable. Mm -hmm. And and so the challenge is for me is if I'm going to have multiple ways for our defense to deal with on-ball picks, I've got to practice it a lot. So we don't become that defense that has a bunch of gadgets that they're not really well run, then fundamentally they're going to break down. And so it's, it's incorporating that, so we definitely do that with picks. We uh, we have three or four different things we do with picks, and so therefore to do be effective that way, we deal with picks almost every day in that 15 minute pre practice, the first 15 minutes when everyone arrives before the dynamic warm up and and getting the heart rate going. We're doing four to five minutes of on ball pick play, you know, and in, in a slower, more mental state, um, and so we like to be multifaceted, certainly with how we play picks. Um, in terms of defending our opponent, our opponent, you know, some days it's pretty simple. You know, you're winning matchups. Okay, let's have our base slides just come from here. But for the most part, we got our matchups. Let's not let's not stray far from there. But those other days, we're like, okay, we need some help here. Drift cuts are looking really good for the opponent, unfortunately, and you know, we're getting bogged down with some of their invert, and they're they're, they're causing us some. We we got to have, you know, I feel. That we have to have some alternatives, and so I like to have defenses that are going to uh, be multifaceted and have different looks. And so, you know, you you go into a big little invert. Um, are we going to do the same thing every time? No, we're gonna we're gonna have our base defense, which uh, you know is our cross crease slide. I'm not giving any secrets there to our opponents. Uh, we 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 tend to be a cross crease slide defense for dodgers from behind. Is this invert something we can do against that? um or you know do we do we go into a temporary zone um that that will then flex back out to man to man when the ball goes up top or do uh, or do we stay with the zone And so um and what you're seeing a lot too more recently it's interesting jamie is that adjacent defender sliding into the face of the dodger
1: um
0: and then second sliding whether around the horn perimeter or second sliding out of the crease um seeing more and more defenses do that which it's a little surprising because it seems like a simple thing for the offense just to move the ball up front, a forward when the slide comes in their face. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, I, I'm, I will, I, I admit I, I I like tinkering a little bit. Um, but in the back of my head, I keep thinking about, you know, those really good defenses that right. do what well, you can do it really well.
1: <laughs> but I'm not sure that those really good defenses, I mean, I don't think deception on defense. This necessarily has to be a change in scheme, although you, you can, but you can do different things within whatever defense. I mean, you can play the ball a little bit differently. I mean, like a defensive back will sometimes like, you know, right before, you know, the the ball snap backs off and all of a sudden, you know, or, or kind of steps up on you and puts pressure on you when you weren't expecting it. And I think you can do the same thing when you think about your on ball. You know, you play, you're playing someone that's versatile. You don't probably want to play him the same way every time. You might get out all the way on him and make him initiate his, his dodge way out there, or you might fake that and get off him really quickly. Um, and it, it, I think it's the same thing can be true in pick play. And I, I kind of looked at Maryland, really wondered this. Uh, I was watching a lot of their, I, I've watched their Maryland, their Princeton game a bunch of times. And I just kind of watched the way they were playing picks. And it wasn't, the same every time, nor was it even, I, I couldn't tell like, you know, were they whether when they would do their, their stack and whack or their hedge thing, they would sometimes go on over and sometimes go under. And I think they were kind of making a decision based on where the pick was. Cause you know how these pickers adjust and when you're going to go under every time they, they simply just make you run farther under. And now exactly. it makes it a, a shortest distance between two points issue. I started doing this one-on-one plus a picker drill, one-on-one plus a picker. So the defender had to, the the picker wasn't eligible to receive a pass, but the picker was going to set the pick. And what I started realizing was that the on-ball defender could set up a more successful ability to navigate the pick with deception than if they were predictable. Because basically, Mm. if they're obviously pushing over the pick and they continue to push over the pick, they're easier to pick. And if they're obviously going under the pick, then the picker could more easily read that and be able to drop uh, and adjust their pick. And um, to me, it's just a use of the power of deception, which is throwing your opponent off. So for these pickers right now, if, if you are going to pick and you know that I'm pushing over a pick, you're going to set your pick farther to the outside, which is going to give me more ability to get underneath it. It's almost like I try to, I likened it to the defensive players as you got to play on ball defense and dodge the pick, which means you have to basically just be deceptive with that pick. Yeah. You could drop off of it and have them set that thing tighter in. They have to, or they're going to miss. And then you can push out. Get exactly. over it. And I think that th- this element is just as important as changing up any coverage. And I think it's pr- true in every facet of whatever within every defense you're playing, not just from one defense to another.
0: I'm, I'm typing this to myself because I'm going to ask my defenseman um, when, we, when we get together in a few days and start up the 23 season. How many of you are deceptive? How many of you are switching it up? Are you showing like, Hey, I'm going to act like I'm going under, but then in the last second I'm going to go get physical and get a chunk in or vice versa. Um, I haven't really thought of it that way. For me, the the diversity has come with the off ball man. Is he going to go out there and get a chip or double dog um, the Dodger and, um, or, or is he going to play off of it? You know, and I haven't had really thought about the uh, the variation in terms of the on ball defender. So it's a it's a really cool thing to think about Jamie and I'm going to I'm going to ask my guys if any of them do it already or are thinking have been thinking about it and how many are like me and never really thought about it.
1: Yeah. It's a posture thing too cuz you know the way the way you look is going to be kind of where they set their picks. So if you're far out and you make it look like you're pushing over you're going to have a lot of room underneath. And um <laughs> Likewise, if you back off, they have to. If you're if you're if you're not out on your guy, they're they're going to have to set their pick at the angle that they think you're going to be taking. And so if you can if you can make those plays, now you can't always, and it's not easy. But but I do think it's interesting, and I think it just comes back down to deception with everything. I mean, you know, making it look like you're not doing something that you're doing. It will, without a question, be harder for your opponent always, and it's almost impossible. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Now I can think certainly, especially with those razor picks, the low angle, just below GLE picks, if the offense knows you're going underneath, they keep moving, the picker keeps moving and moving and moving. All of a sudden, you know, um, they're, they're maybe getting a shot, you know, without yeah. even getting or checked. And so could you fake like, okay, I'm going to, my stance makes it looks like I'm going to play soft and go underneath this, but you know, but do something different as the Dodger arrives. Um, and then vice versa, like you're saying, can I, can I be out there, be aggressive, pop the guy and then run underneath. Yeah. That's really cool.
1: Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, invert defense. You had mentioned that you're thinking about some different things um, and uh, I'd love to hear some updated thoughts on invert defense.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, um, we've had a, you know, like a lot of teams, it fundamentally what it comes down to this and again, for the, the, the Notre Dame's and and some other really good sound defenses that don't change for anything, they don't have to listen to this. Um, because, but I really do feel you have to have a second option. There's got, to, I've haven't done this as long as I've done it. You can try to stick with what your basics are, but man, against some invert matchups, I, I think you, there's gotta be an alternative. Um, uh, cause you're, tr- you might be relying on an on-ball defender who just can't do what you, you, the level that you need him to do it at, whether it's, you know, engaging, disrupting, turning the on-ball, d- the Dodger, whatever it is, it just, it's just not going to work. And so you, that, that on-ball defender needs more help. And so what's the best off-ball system, you know, while we're doing that, um, if you really don't like the matchup, AKA some sort of invert situation. And so we've, um, You know, we've been messing around with a few different things over the years, and we've gone into the temporary zone, like a lot of defense. It's more of a diamond shape, and then then the question is, who slides? Um, And so that diamond shape, you can come from the adjacent down into the face of the Dodger, and then the rest of the diamond rotates into the pass and rotates a perimeter adjacent slide. Um, And, and I, what I was saying earlier, I feel like that's become more prevalent. Um, It's almost sort of saying, Hey, look, offense, we're going to give you an outlet. We're going to make it easy for you to draw a slide and move the ball, but you're going to make the simple pass, not the great pass into the wide open crease or the tough pass that throwing through the defense and if it gets through, Oh boy, you got your hands free for a great 10 yard shot, but you know, uh, that's a, that's a little trickier pass. So we're going to, we're going to, you know what, we think you're so good at throwing these passes. We're going to make you throw just the easy pass um, and, and slide adjacent uh, into the face of the Dodger and then rotate around the perimeter. Um, We sometimes that diamond can slide out of the crease. Now, that based on our opponent, you know, and we're lucky out the high school have a day to prepare. We have, you know, five days to prepare, you know, is our opposition filled with Canadians and they're just jamming at crease and they've got really good finishers inside. Let's not, let's, let's not, let's not come out of the bottom part of the diamond, <laughs> you know, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's either come from the face or, but if they don't have those, those, those finisher types or we dare them to throw it in there, um, then, then we'll set, then we'll make that slide from the crease with that diamond type formation around it, ready to step into the crease when he slides, supporting the crease, but then spoking back out on the recovery when that on ball inverted defender flies back into the crease. Um, and so the question is, are you, Lars, s- recovering when the ball goes back up top, back to man to man, or do you stay in that zone? Until the possession ends, or the ball goes out of bounds, or there's time to make a call, that's uh, that's some of the things that we're experimenting with. And uh, um, you know, we found over the years, you know, sometimes there's some defenses. And you know, playing against North Carolina, found it was really concerning to go into that temporary zone, that that, that inverted, you know, zone temporarily, because it changed the matchups, and all of a sudden, Chris Gray would move himself to be a party and like, Oh boy, he found the short stick defender. And if they just move the ball up to him, huh? Um, and then some teams will get you into your invert zone and then move the ball quickly. They just wanted you to change your defense. Um, And so it's like, okay, are we then going to go into an invert zone and then back to man to man, or should we just stay in a zone for the, for the, uh, for the time being? And the final thought I have on this Zone, I feel like, has become a bit more prevalent recently because of the shot clock. And let me step back a little bit philosophically. You know, watching, you know, college football um, and uh, pro football, those secondaries, they're mixing it up on the quarterbacks, right? They're disguising, like you're talking about, with the the cornerback yeah. coming up and making it look like it's man to man. That's why the offense has the motion. They want to see if it's man to man or zone. Can that defense change from man to man to zone on the motion? Can they be disruptive and and try to throw off the opposing quarterback? Well, either way, that defensive coordinator knows that that quarterback spot has between the pre-snap movement and then post-snap movement, I don't know, five, six, seven seconds, if you add it all up, to make a decision. Well, in lacrosse, the offense has a little bit more time to understand if it's man or zone but now we have a shot clock and how much time's on that shot clock and how much time do they have to read and react? So that's kind of where, when you talked about initially about disguising defense, I thought it more schematically and I really appreciate what you were talking about. No, let's think about it individually, especially the on ball play. But, um, so some of that, anyways, I'm kind of a roundabout trying to bring it together. I think about that when we're thinking about the invert defense, how much time's on a shot clock? Could we just fall into a zone? Um, you know, and give the offense a totally different look here, or do we stay with our man-to-man slide, recover, and then uh, and go from there?
1: And you guys play your base is coma, right?
0: Yeah, that's our base defense. Yeah, I've, I tried. We tried when I first got here to UVA. We said, you know what? There's a lot of good defenses that slide from the crease versus everything, and it takes away the concern of well, coach, I thought that was a wing dodge. No, I thought it was a low wing dodge. I thought that was more of out of the back corner. I thought that should have been GLE. You know, it takes, takes, gets rid of that. I get that. And so I was like, you know, let me try this. And so we did it my first year. Well, it didn't go well. Things didn't go well for a lot of reasons my first year. But I just, you know, and I've had some conversations with you about it. It's hard to change. It's hard to change as a coach. And I recognize that most of my drills were based on cross crease slides, you know, and small sort of two v2, three v three drills and the way of teaching on ball defense. And and so we just went back to it. And uh I, I kind of feel like the discussion, and I use football analogies probably too much, you know, the four-three versus the three, four, you know, in pro football. Uh, I know now is a lot more three, three, five because there's so much passing. But uh, but let's go back to the old three, four, four, three there's advantages to both and disadvantages to both. um I do think there's probably more better defenses that are more crease consistent sliding to everything um let's say, let's call that the four three defense but I don't know we're a three fourteen. so yeah, yeah. we're a coma.
1: well, I think there's one principle about your coma slide that is um very interesting which is that it allows for all four of those people in the diamond to uh, not have to slide
0: right That's a good point. yeah, you can come in the cross crease. It's I mean, a it's a numbers
1: thing. It's just like, well, I mean, we're just not vacating the middle as much or the wing, wherever you're not vacating space. You're not, you're, you're, you're still playing it four against five. It's, it's, it's true. And particularly in a, think- double, in a double, particularly in a two man game when you're, when it's like, you're in that diamond, if you slide out of the hole, of that diamond, now it's three against four for a second. And so therefore, when you go coma, and you slide yeah there's an no open guy behind the net but there's there's four guys covering in front
0: exactly and and when the opposing offense and again this is sort of matchup based the personnel base of our opponent when the opposing offense has six fantastic lacrosse players or very about equal level you're right let's go with that um the counter for me is when that other offensive player in the two-man game standing at x is you know grant amen <laughs> chris gray Connor Fields, whoever we've, I've had to go against over the years, Rob Pinnell when I was at Brown, it's like, you know, let's not slide off him. Let's not let's not let let's not have him be the guy who catches the next pass. And now he's looking through a defense. Um, right. So it's, it's a little bit of, you know, I, I think I used to slide that cross crease no matter what. And then over the years as I've evolved and like, huh, I don't know if I want their quarterback having his hands free that much.
1: Yeah. Well, because usually it's the quarterback with the ball and you're just happy to have him throw it to that midi um, behind the net. But when it's the other way, exactly. not so much. Exactly. If it's the quarterback
0: who's coming around, then that's where that adjacent slide in his face is really effective. We, we've we done this in the past to a lot of really good attackmen. Make them make the pass that anyone else could make up the side. Anybody can make that pass. These guys are great attack. These, we're talking about their best player. He wants to throw the through ball or the into the high crease or, you know, you know thread the needle to the back pipe and the guy sneaking the back pipe he doesn't want to throw the easy one you know it's like tom brady you know well maybe not 45 year old tom brady but you know the quarterback doesn't want to just throw the dump down to the wide to the uh, running back every time for five yards you know but let's make him do that
1: great stuff hey so you're the head coach of the hoden yeah how cool is that very cool Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about your experiences and um, and kind of like what it's in, what what this position entails. You know, give us the update on the staff and and tell us some stories about the players.
0: Sure, yeah. So it all started. I was I was invited by Mark Burnham uh, five years ago in 2017, preparing for the 2018 World Games in Israel, and um, and so I, I was a part of that staff. And what a wonderful experience! And it's it's invigorating. It's it's spiritually and emotionally uplifting it's like good good for your soul to be around Native people and we all know that they gave us this game um but it's truly a religion I mean, we, I mean you talk about like oh football's a religion in the South in the SEC yeah it's a nice analogy and it's somewhat true but I mean Lacrosse is religion it is the spirituality. It's mm-hmm. so connected to their culture. And unlike any other sport that I know of, maybe there's some out there in some other indigenous communities in this world, but it's so connected. It's, and it's, uh, you know, so I, and I was lucky enough, as you know, to grow up with the Onondaga people. Uh, what, going When you grow up in Lafayette, you're adjacent to the Onondaga nation. Uh, one of the six nations of the, of the Haudenosaunee, which we used to call the Iroquois. And um, And so I I was, I had access to something that most people don't. And I learned so much and it's made a huge impact on my life. And, and, um, and so anyways, let me fast forward this. I don't want to make this the 20 minute commentary, but so, so I'm invited to be a part of the assistant coaching staff in Israel. And it was just like the seed that I needed replanted to remind me of the roots of this game and the spirit of the game. And it's a player's game. Um, and, um, I had a great experience, um, we, uh, we did lose the US and we lost to Canada twice, but uh, it was a wonderful overall experience outside of the, of the losses. And um, uh, the Haudenosaunee uh, National Lacrosse Board um, offered me the opportunity to lead the program this uh, this upcoming year in San Diego. And um, um, it, was a, it was a wonderful opportunity that I just couldn't say no. It's almost, almost felt like this, like I, I was sent off into the world on my mission to go spread lacrosse that I'd learned at Lafayette and from the Onondaga people, and now I've been called home, <laughs> in a sense. And it, and I know I'm stretching that a little bit, but that's how I really feel about it. And uh, and of, of course I say yes. Um, and what a, what a wonderful opportunity! Um, I get to work with Scott Marr again. Scott was with us in Israel, and uh, obviously Scott has a really really strong relationship with native people and some some of the best players ever. Certainly, a lot of guys named what last name Thompson and mm-hmm. uh, and others. Um, and then Vince Longboat is on our staff, and Chris Doctor, uh, two natives. I told the team from the get go when I met with them uh, on the first Zoom call. Thank goodness for Zoom, by the way. We didn't have this five years ago, obviously, or didn't think, didn't know about it. We are being able to touch pace points and have much be more, much be more organized because, like all Native national teams, we're all spread out. So, but in our first meeting, I told the fellows, "Hey fellows, my objective here." is that I'm the head coach for the Haudenosaunee once that I share what I know. I share what I give. And, and through my leadership, we develop more leaders and we develop others to run the Haudenosaunee, uh, hopefully native Americans to, to run native, this native American program uh, in terms of on the field as coaches and certainly uh, as players, because you have to be, but I just, that's my objective here. Um, So, It's a, uh, we've had one real uh, tryout weekend up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, We were lucky to be between the weekends when they had five feet of snow and when they had the worst blizzard in 55 years. And so we were able to get together there and have like, Jamie, like six hours of lacrosse one day and then three the next. And like, you wouldn't do that with your college teams. You wouldn't do that with your high school teams. Um, But I tell you, just that spirit of playing and yeah, maybe keep score, but it doesn't really matter. We just want to play. We just want to compete. And that's what I talk about, this, the, the uplifting energy that uh, it's wonderful to be around. And hopefully the listeners, you just experience it if possible, or at least attend to, to it, watch it. Um, and having the voices of the men, having Randy Stott's voice, having Lyle and Jeremy, Jeremy Thompson, what a leader that guy is. And now Zed Williams, picking up a six-foot stick. Uh, it's a challenge he's always wanted to try. But he also understands we need that. We, you know, here's one of the best offense players in the world, but we, you know, the deficiencies are we just don't have as many guys with the experience of the six-foot stick. And, and Zed loves this challenge. And dang, doesn't he look like the prototypical defenseman at six two, two forty, you know, and, and he's got pretty good lateral footwork. Um, but it's uh so we're coming up again with our next scrimmage in a couple of weeks. We're gonna all meet in Albany. In, uh, in late January and scrimmage, Scott Mars uh, Great Danes team. Um, and uh, the guys are gonna get together once or twice throughout. But I tell you again, as I referred to the Zoom, we've had five defensive meetings by Zoom. We're using something, not Zoom, but Scorebreak, this wonderful teaching video online tool. Um, the Scorebreak has been fantastic for us. And again, this wasn't around last time around. And, um, and so it's been really advantageous for us in terms of watching game film, whether it's of the Haudenosaunee, I should call them Iroquois, so it was Iroquois in 2018 against team USA and team Canada. And then watch, we're using UVA practice, you know, clips to, you know, as, as I teach our systems and our nomenclature, um, like the most important thing, as I started this conversation with you about is making it collaborative. Cause again, what's my ultimate goal is to develop Leaders to develop so they can be more self-sufficient, so they can drive this bus the next time around, and and it can be Native American led, and so I want it to be collaborative and and sharing ideas, and that's been rewarding to see some some people who are more introverted expressing and being more communicative, partially because they're starting to understand the system better. You know, you don't understand it; it's hard to say anything, but they're starting to understand it better, and so through the score break sessions. Um, we're making some headway. We got a long way to go defensively, you know. Um, but um, I tell you what, Jamie. To to summarize it, it is it is a wonderful gift to spend time with these with these men and uh, to remind yourself about this game and and its roots and uh, and the energy and the spirit of it all.
1: Yeah, so cool. How how many Native American lacrosse players do you think there are on the planet? Yeah. If you look at. The, the u.s population of lacrosse players i don't know let's just call it seven hundred fifty thousand to a million some of that ballpark right canada is probably between 50 and 100 the natives i i went through an exercise i asked Daris kilgore this i don't know four or five years ago and he started adding them up that's how few there are oh wow He's like, well, you can actually add them. <laughs> well, just like nation by nation. You know, he's like, all right, well, on Six Nations, I think there's about 560. And he's like, there's about 120 on the Onondaga. And he just kind of went through it. <laughs> I mean, he went through, you know, and it was like 1,500 to 2,000 is the number he came up with.
0: Wow. Now I was gonna I was gonna maybe it's 3, 000, 000. I don't even
1: know maybe it's five i've no I, I don't know i'm just telling you what he had said in the way in, in the way he kind of was doing the back back of the napkin math of just going through <laughs> a reservation by reservation and um the mind-blowing thing is on a per capita basis these players are just They're world-class. They're they're first ballot Hall of Famers. I mean, there's just like player after player after player. There are more kids playing lacrosse, probably in Greenwich, Connecticut. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Who've all gone through Andy Tower's uh, fundamental system. Um, You're right. Um, It is. Um, And that's the advantage we have. Because it is a part of the spirit of the community. It's the religion. It's at three years old, the boys are given sticks. Now, I gave my estimate at 5,000 because I'm, I'm starting to add women. And I know not all nations still accept women playing lacrosse. Um, but the world is changing in many ways. And and Native American tribes, some some are accepting that women should be allowed to play the game. So we're seeing more female players. But I know you're probably referring to male players. But um, it's a... Uh,
1: But how do they do it? I mean, they're coached less. There's, I mean, basically there's a lot less structure. There's not that much field lacrosse unless you play high school lacrosse, which which not all of them do. There's mostly box lacrosse, but just think about how the most skilled players we've ever seen. And it's just like the most skilled things, the most creative things we've ever seen in our lives continue to occur from these players that did not grow up with private lessons. They didn't grow up with the club lacrosse. They didn't grow up with a lot of coaching.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's probably part of your thesis. If if you ever actually created one for what you've been promoting for many, many years, Jamie, you know, it's just play it's free play.
1: It is. They are the exact example.
0: Exactly. If you go to the, uh, the, when I go to Onondaga and I go back there and now there's several beautiful box lacrosse arenas, one was just built in 2014 or 15 when it was finished. It's open. There's no gates on the door. I I walked right in, you know, they'd see me as a white man, like, Hey, who are you? I'm like, you know, luckily I'm, you know, I've I've had a pretty good coaching experience and they're like, Oh, okay. You can stay, you know, but you know, or you can, you know, just got to sign this waiver, but as a native, you can just walk in, you know? you want to kick a soccer ball, I guess you could kick a soccer ball too. But, you know, most of them are walking in with a lacrosse sticks, you know, and uh, they're playing And it's just always, and again, this is something I found growing up with the Lafayette New York and playing with Jake Lazor and Joe Solomon and T-Bone Homer and Brad Paulus and all these others. Like we wanted to win a section three championship. We wanted to win league championships, but whatever happened, happened. And it was like, when's the next game? When, when, when do we get back on the court? When do we get back on the field? When do we get, it was just like, just wanted to keep playing. Um, and it's just, it's kind of, it's in the DNA. It's in the spirit. It's in the soul. And so you're right. All those extra times of touches and play without as much structure or organization as we think
1: we may need. Look what we've got. It's amazing, isn't it? Lyle Thompson didn't get to where he was by t- being told what not to do. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's uh, yeah,
0: it's, it's a, uh, now that's the beauty of it on the offensive side. <laughs> as as uh, we could probably sit here and talk about hours, defense probably needs a little bit more of an enforcer, need a little bit more of a structure, you know, defined systems and communications and, and, and that's where we struggle. That's where we're
1: behind. I mean, that's but don't so you to think to it's, work. it's, it's, it's has there's some of that, but it just ha- it, the reason why Zed is playing defense is you just need more athletes back there. Yeah, I mean, it's just it just comes down to this just comes down to the numbers. I mean, if there were fifty thousand Native Americans, uh, you'd have you'd have the athletes that you need. You'd have enough of them.
0: Mm-hmm. It's true, but you know, and obviously the simplicity of the fact that the boxer cross is just, is a short stick, and many natives along with the Canadians play the box um look at like, the look know, at the
1: canadian true. defenseman you know i mean like last you know 2021 oh. the defensive player of the year i mean every time you turn around there's another canadian um you know and i would imagine the same will happen with it is if if they're if they're better athletes to start playing defense too and
0: and, and so the numbers thing I, I hate to be someone who gives up a lot of excuses you know, it's, uh, I tell my team all the time, we get a good excuses, we'll get good at losing. So I don't want to say, yeah, we only have 2,500 or 3,000 men to choose from. But, but I, so I try to focus on the positives because they're born with a stick. It, this is part of the spirit, the religions, the culture of who we are. So we're, we, we're actually lucky. We've got the advantage and we got the advantage that we can't rely on these unknowns coming from other parts of the country. We got, we got to rely on us. Let's go. It's us. We got to make this happen. Yep. Um, but I will say where the numbers come in is a little bit where you're talking about the defense. Um, and then it's like, how many face-off guys do we have to choose from? How many goalies do we have to choose from? Right. That's really where it's like, you yeah. know, we're fortunate to have Hill and uh and there's a couple of young goalies coming along, but that's where the numbers are like, uh, you know, when Jeremy Thompson finally, You know isn't able to keep playing gosh that guy's like probably 36 years old he's our best face-off guy and he's an incredible athlete he's he's pure he's healthy he doesn't put in the toxins he cleans the clean life and you can see what an amazing what he's been able to maintain who's behind him you know and and that's where it's that's where the numbers thing puts the big question marks
1: yeah I mean, when I was talking about the numbers, I was just kind of blown away by the fact that on a per capita basis, they've created more world class or Hall of Fame level (laughs) talent than any population, probably in any sport. It's just absolutely incredible. And I do think it would translate to offense and defense. You know, you're going to have great lacrosse players that are smart and, you know, Lyle could probably be a good defenseman if you want it to be. Um, Switching gears. Okay. Maizanek. Yes, Ricky. What a pickup. Dude, talk to us about Gush a little.
0: I know. Well, I'm going to admit, you know, sometimes you work your butt off as a recruiter. You know, multiple handwritten notes, multiple home visits, you know, thinking about everything, the conversation just to get it right. And you and you and and sometimes you still don't get the recruit. And then but the ones you get, you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Uh, And then there's. The ones like Ricky who just jump in the boat, you know, while you're fishing, they just jump in your boat and it's, and I'd like to say I worked really hard for it, but Ricky really wanted to be here. And, uh, and so we're really lucky to have him, you know, he spent four and a half years at Stanford graduated, um, played high level football. Obviously he was actually honorable mention pack 12 as a linebacker. He's got the potential to pursue an NFL career, you know, meaning it'd be a stretch, but there's a potential path. Ricky misses lacrosse, he wants to be a lacrosse player. And, um, and he wants to be in Charlottesville. And so that was one where, when he jumped in the transfer portal, he kept it very limited who could talk to him. And, uh, you know, and our first interaction, I was like, wow, he's not playing poker at all. He wants to be in (laughs) Charlottesville. And so, um, um, and so he'll be joining us in a couple days. Um 6'2, he could be 240 as a football player. It'll I think it'll be relatively easy for him to be a 20, 220, 225, because I think he had to work hard, you know, with the calories of eating and the weight room to make to keep get him at two, himself at 240. So I think he'll naturally be a 20, 220, 225 with just eating more of a normal diet. Uh he's a health guy, you know. He was asking he went vegetarian a little bit for a little while. He wasn't even saying that to make me feel good. Um, and uh he's a thinker, you know Jamie. Sometimes you come along this path on this planet and maybe it's an assistant coach, but sometimes it's a player that you start spending a little bit of time with. And for me, the most recent time with this with a transfer was Charlie Bertrand. Like, wow, this this isn't a normal 18-year-old guy showing up here. This is someone who's 22, who's been a captain, Charlie at Merrimack, uh, Ricky, captain of the defense at Stanford football, who brings in so much experience and wealth and knowledge that he can share with not only the team but me and i'm just really tickled that i'm going to get at least one semester we're hopeful for a year uh an additional year with a waiver from the NCAA that i'm going to get to spend hopefully two springs with someone who is uh obviously a fantastic athlete powerful dodger downhill coming to you right at you going right to the goal challenging defenses if they're trying not to slide and, but just someone who's got this depth of, the, of insight and experience that, uh, I, it's going to make the, all of us, the rest of us
1: better. Amazing. LT, yeah. good luck in 2023. And thank you uh, for coming on and talking lacrosse with me. I I always love and cherish our lacrosse conversations.
0: It's, uh, it's wonderful. I I'm tickled here to be able to talk about it. And you got me more invigorated for that first practice in a few days from now. And, uh, um, Yeah. Thanks for asking. Thanks for talking about Virginia lacrosse. Uh, Appreciate this. And, but just thanks, thanks for always thinking about the game in uh, in ways that most of the rest of us aren't, Um, you know, poking and prodding, you know, making the rest of us go, Oh, Oh, and it's helping this game move on to the next level.
1: Appreciate it LT. Happy new year. Be in touch soon.
0: All right. Thanks, Jamie.